Uh, if you came in after, um, after our uh, presider, Eugene, welcomed us um, today at, at 6 o'clock in, uh, in our other building, our main building. We're going to be uh, hearing a testimony from uh, Reverend uh, Hyunsu Lim. He was, uh, he's a pastor at uh, Light Korean Presbyterian Church in, in Toronto. He um, many times over uh, went into North Korea, and on his last trip into North Korea, he was, uh, he was caught and imprisoned, and for, uh, for many, many months he was there. He was released um, a couple months ago, and he's going to be speaking in our, uh, in our main building, in our main sanctuary. Um, he'll be speaking in Korean, but um, that's going to be translated into English, and it will be, uh, the translation is going to be put on the screen. And so I want to really encourage you to, to come out, um, to, to listen, to hear what God is doing in the world, and also to hear a testimony of how uh, God and His grace and His strength and His Spirit can sustain us through imprisonment in the, in the most uh, nasty regime in the world. And so I want to really encourage you to come out 6 o'clock in our main sanctuary, a uh, great time of hearing uh, what God is doing in North Korea as well as what He's doing in the hearts of His people. Uh, September 13th, uh, September 13th, 2004, uh, a day that forever changed the lives of many people. I don't know what September 13th, 2004 means to you. But on that day, 276 people walked onto the set, the studio audience of the Oprah Winfrey Show, and they walked out of there forever changed. That day, 276 people sitting in the studio audience, and Oprah Winfrey gave away 11 cars to people within that audience. Can you imagine that? That's a pretty good odds, right? 276 people, 11 of you get cars. That's pretty good. But it didn't end there. After the 11 were given cars, these ladies with boxes came out wrapped in little red bows, and every single one of the 276 people were given these boxes. And she said, do not open it, do not open it, do not open that box until I say open it. Because in addition to these 11 people who've already won cars, one person has a chance to walk out of here with another brand new, fully loaded Pontiac something or other car. And everybody was going crazy. They're so excited about this. They're like, oh my gosh, could it be me? Could it be me? And as they got their box, they're holding it. Some people are shaking. Don't open it. Don't open it until I say so. At the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Everyone open your box. And as they opened it, one by one, people started screaming like, oh my gosh, I've got the key. I've got the key. And the person next to them started screaming, oh my gosh. And just in case that all of these people were mistaken, Oprah went on this crazy rant and she started saying, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, pointing to everybody. She said, everybody gets a car. And the crowd was going crazy. 276 people just happened to be chosen to sit in the studio audience of that Oprah Winfrey show that day, and every single one of them walked out with a key to one of these brand new Pontiac fully loaded cars that would change their lives forever. This is one of the greatest moments in American talk show history, if you ask me. I think it is. I think it's pretty amazing. And 
all around, people were saying, oh my gosh, did you see what Oprah Winfrey did? Did you watch the Oprah show? Did you see what she did? And people were talking about it. And to this day, 13 years later, people are still talking about it. It's pretty amazing if you want to watch it on YouTube. Not right now, Joanne. Put your phone away. Just kidding. Uh, but at some point, right, you can watch it and you will be struck by the beauty and the, just the, the palpable excitement in that place. Why? I think to me, what made that Oprah Winfrey show so exciting, I was watching it this week and I was like jumping up and down. I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have been there. It's so amazing. The reason why, to me, it's such an important moment and such a defining and memorable moment is one, because of the generosity that Oprah and behind her, the Pontiac Company GM, was demonstrating that every person got a brand new car. The other thing that got me was not just the generosity, but the joy with which she announced that you get a car, and you get a car, and everybody gets a car. The joyfulness within that generosity that caused her to be so excited that every single person would be leaving with something they didn't have before simply because of the generosity of another. Today, uh, we're beginning a series called That's Hilarious. And the reason why we want to talk about this is because something happens in the face of radical generosity that causes people to talk about it and talk about it even long after their lives have been changed. Today, here's my simple thing. My simple premise, my simple goal is that you would walk out of here knowing how you could be even more generous than Oprah Winfrey and even more joyful in your generosity than her as well. You believe this? Amen. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You're going to walk out of here, not with a brand new Pontiac, with a brand new set of eyes so that you can live in radical and joyful generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through We're going to do verses 1 through, uh, let's go 1 through 9, and then we're going to do chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. As I say this, I'm not asking you for money. Uh, We're not doing some brand new initiative where we're needing anything. Um, What we need is for us to really unlock our hearts to live as people of gospel-driven, grace-bought generosity. This is God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll pick up again in chapter 9. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, again, that doesn't make any sense. Extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that 
you through his poverty might become rich. In chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is God's word. Man, does this fire you up, get you excited? Holy cow, this is amazing. God, it says in chapter 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. The word for cheerful in Greek, okay, you've got some Greek friends at work or Greek friends at school and you want to impress them, okay, the word for cheerful, the word for joyful is hilaron, okay, H-I-L-A-R-O-N, hilaron, it's where we get the word hilarious. In other words, what Paul is saying is when you give, your giving should be so joyful that it becomes hilarious to you. Like, dude, I got nothing, but I'm able to give so generously. This is really funny. This is joyful. This is hilarious. This is the banner that I want to hang over our heads over the next several weeks, this idea of, man, that is hilarious, how we can be so generous that it causes a joy to well up and rise up and to overflow out of us, and then it causes other people to say, man, that is pretty hilarious. God loves a cheerful giver. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we can outgive, out generous, out joyfully give Oprah Winfrey? Three thoughts here. Here's the first one. There are many ways to be generous. Uh, it, I was in Seattle this week, and I was uh, meeting with a group of pastors, uh, some business meetings, planning meetings for a pastor's conference, and uh, we we're talking about Different things like, you know, how we support our missionaries and how we support uh, uh, different ministries of our church. And uh, one, of the, one of the pastors said to another, he said, you know what, uh, we just try to be as generous as we can so that we can bless our missionaries overseas. And the other pastor said to him, hey, that's easy when you've got all the money in the world, right, when your church is big and you've got all this money. And the pastor immediately corrected us and said, no, 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 no. It's an attitude. And it's about a mindset. It's a mentality that I'm trying to communicate to you. It's not about how much you have. It's not about having all the money. It's about an attitude of wanting to be a blessing to other people. There are many ways, then, <clears throat> that we can be generous. I know some of you might be thinking, how can I outgive Oprah? Because I'll tell you why. There are many ways, okay, many ways that we can be generous. Okay, it, it, says, it says, if you look at uh, verse... Uh, chapter 8, verse, well, he's talking about in, in verse 1, the grace of God is given the Macedonian churches. This is the context of the Macedonian churches. It says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond 
their ability. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Okay? That's pretty crazy stuff. Here's, what, here's what's going on. Paul is tra- the Apostle Paul is traveling around Europe. He's traveling around Europe, and he's talking about the church in Jerusalem, and he's telling these churches in Europe, hey, you know what? The church in Jerusalem has fallen on some hard times. They need a lot of help. They need a lot of financial resources. And as he travels around to Europe, he's explaining the need, and he gets to this one church or this one area called Macedonia, And he's saying, I didn't expect much from them because they themselves are in a position of severe trial. In fact, they're in deep generosity. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm going around to the churches in Europe asking them to help out a church that's on welfare. I go to this one church on welfare. I'm saying, hey, I know y'all are on welfare. There's another church on welfare as well. And what that church says is, hey, you know what? You don't have to ask twice. You don't need to ask twice. Whatever it takes, we want to do. And so he says, it overflowed, it welled up, rich generosity. They gave as much as they could. They gave even beyond. They urgently pleaded, can we do this? Why? Here's why I think many of us don't think we can be generous. Because we look so often at what we don't have. I don't have what Oprah has. I don't have what these other churches have. I don't have what these other people have. No, no, no. He's saying, don't, the first question of generosity is not what you don't have. The question is, what do I have? Hey, what do I have? And with what we do have, we're called to be generous because generosity is taking from what I do have and giving it to others in order that they might be blessed. <clears throat> Here's the thing. You might not think you have a lot of money, but there's a lot of things that you do have. What are some things that you might be rich in? What are some things that people generously give? You can generously give of your time to people. I don't have money, I can't be generous. No, that's the wrong question. You have time that you can offer to people. You can give rides to people, right? We have people like that in our church who, hey, you know what? Um, If anyone ever needs a ride, they ever need a ride, they sign up and say, I want to be the person to give a ride. That's generosity, right? It's taking from what I do have and being able to give to others. I knew a, 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 a college student when he was in college, okay? College student who had a heart for youth students at his church, okay? Little tiny church in Gainesville, Florida. He said, you know what? It's time for me to get a new car. My old car is breaking down. And when he thought about this, what can I do? He said, instead of getting that new sports car that everybody else wants, instead of getting that reliable car that everybody else wants, instead of getting that cool car that everybody else says I have to get, he bought an, a, a used minivan in order that he might give rides to people in his youth ministry. That's called being generous with what you do have, thinking about how can I be generous. Some of you have talents, and you can be generous with your talents. Yeah, you might not be able to to fund something for somebody else or buy everybody dinner, but there are things that you can do. Whatever that is, whatever that is, you give that to the church, you give that to people, whatever you have, you can give to other people. You've got skills, you can cook for people, you can draw paintings for people, whatever it is that you can be generous with, this is what you're called to be generous with. There's so many different ways to be generous, and we cannot discount the fact that I cannot be generous simply because we're looking at what we do not have. Paul's saying, hey, look at what you do have, and with that, You can be generous. Why can we be generous? Look at what it says in verse 5, chapter 8. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Here's what it doesn't say. 
They, they could do that because they gave their money first to us and then to the Lord. First to the Lord and then to us. Or because they gave their finances first to the Lord and then to us. It says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. When everything we have is given to God, then whatever he asks of us is his anyways, and so we can be generous with it. Generosity is not about your money. It's about your mindset. It's not about your amount. It's about your attitude. That God, all I am is yours. I walk with you wherever you go. Whatever you want me to do. Jesus, I believe in you. I belong to you. All of me is yours. Therefore, if someone says, hey, can you pick me up at 6 o'clock in the morning? If everything is already given to God, that whatever he asks of us, as long as we've got it, we can give that generously to other people. Because he's given that the Macedonians first gave themselves to God. God, I'm yours, I'm yours. And if the opportunity arises, man, they urgently pleaded with the grace, with the opportunity, can I give? Not do I have to give, but can I give in order that other people might be blessed by what I have? Look at the things that Jesus praised in the Gospels. He praised a little boy out of all the people in a crowd of 5,000. He had the cheapest meal, barley loaves and fish, sardines, the cheapest kind of food. But the boy said, I don't have much, but here, what I have, Jesus, I give it to you. And God takes that. And in the equation, when you put God into the equation, everything changes with our generosity. See, the difference between giving and philanthropy and just simply being generous and hilarious generosity is that at the end of the day, when you give first to God, people begin to praise God for it. It says in chapter 9, verse 11, so that through your generosity, it will result in thanksgiving to God. Listen, when we give out of what we have, out of the, out of the abundance of what we have, then people thank us and they praise us for it. But when we give all of ourselves to God and out of our poverty, out of what we have, and we give that to the Lord God and other people see that, they thank God for it. There's a big difference. I tell people there's a difference in being generous with your home. There's a difference between extending hospitality of the world, entertaining people, and extending biblical hospitality. The end of entertaining is people say, you've got a great house, you've got a great meal, you you did a great job making this for us, but the end goal of biblical hospitality, generosity, is that people see God as they leave your home. There's a world of difference between simply giving and this hilarious generosity that the gospel talks about. In fact, the most generous person that I know I've mentioned him on many occasions. His name was Peter. He was my, his, his name used to be Simon. He's now Peter. He was my Bible study leader for a couple years in college. The most generous person I know did not have a lot at all for the world's standards. Drove a beat-up old car that must have been 10, 15 years old. So many times it broke down on him. But with everything he had, he was generous. Every time we'd go out to eat, he would open up the menu and say, whatever you want to eat. He would say, My, I live by this, be generous with others, be frugal with myself. He'd always let me get whatever I want, and then he'd always bring out a coupon. Because there's a lot of ways to be generous. You don't need to have a lot. You don't need to have a lot. He was generous with his time. Whatever I needed, he would meet up with me. He would 
and I've mentioned how he would sleep on the floor of my dorm room when I was sick, so that at five in the morning, six in the morning, he'd drive me to student health so I could get a shot for my uh, stomach virus. Some of the most generous people I know don't have a lot. And at one point, he had so little, he couldn't pay tuition. But in some ways, like God always provided for him, right? He's a guy I told you about. He wasn't the best student in the business school at, at University of Virginia. In fact, had one of the lowest GPAs, but because he was generous uh, with everything, like the three people on the scholarship committee somehow recognized him because he had done something generous for each of them, and they gave him the most uh, uh, prestigious scholarship in the school. See, he was, he was not generous because he had a lot of stuff that the world saw, but because he considered himself to have been the recipient of so much of God's grace. And the, the crazy thing, like a couple years ago, he's now um, a lay pastor. He's, not, he's going through seminary, but he, just, he serves at a church called Covenant Fellowship in, in Illinois. Um, David Kang, who, who spoke at our last r r retreat, from that church. A lot of our missionaries are from that church, and he oversees, uh, that church is about 1,000 people, about 100 or so graduate students, and he oversees that graduate student ministry. Uh, I see him almost every year at, at this conference in Indiana, and he's still the exact same, lives the same way, just wants to live for the Lord, uh, just humbly, anonymously. I remember um, when I, was, I was preaching at his church's revival a couple years ago, and I was talking about him and about the ways in which I've been so blessed by his life and, and just sh- sharing stories of how, you know, we would stay up all night and pray. Like multiple occasions, he would teach me how to pray. He would teach me how to fight and, and labor. He would give uh, so generously of himself to me. And I remember uh, at that revival as I'm preaching, I'm just talking about so many miracles that we'd experienced and so many ways in which God used uh, Peter <clears throat> to bring about transformation to our campus. And afterwards, um, afterwards, uh, some of the other pastors on staff uh, came up and they said, which Peter are you talking about? I said, you know, I, I pointed them out. Right, man, you know what? Um, I'm glad you talked about that because none of these people, in fact, us included, none of us would have ever known any of that stuff. Because to him, he just, he's just Peter. He just lives his life. He would never talk about these things. He would never mention any of these things. He just lives his life. I think it's crazy to think that in this world, you would never pick him out of a lineup of people who are changing the world. But man, of all the people that I know, this trail of blessing that he leaves because he surrendered himself to the Lord is massive. And I think when he gets to heaven... Again, no one on earth knows who he is. In fact, if I were to, yeah, to, to bring you 50 people who've influenced my life, uh, you would never be able to point to him and say, yeah, that guy's someone special. But I know that in heaven, his generosity is causing countless, countless ripple effects. Because the first thing he did was he gave himself first to the Lord and then to us. Guys, you don't need to have a lot in order to be generous. That's the first thing that we see. Second thing that we see, how you give is more important than how much you give. How you give is much more important than how you give. Verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God 
loves a cheerful giver. How do you give? Do you give? When, you, when we give our offerings in a little bit, right, do you give joyfully to God, cheerfully to God? When you give someone a ride to church and it you have to wake up 30 minutes early because you've got to pick them up and bring them, is there joy in your heart that, man, I am bringing them to an encounter with God that if it was not for my generous love of bringing them to church, they could not encounter God in this way? Is there cheerful, joyful hilarity as you give to the Lord? Because, guys, how you give is so much more important than how much you give. You know this, don't you? I know this. I know this. When I come home uh, at night from, uh, from, from work, from church, from whatever it is that I do, um, I open the door. My oldest kids, 8-year-old Manny, 5-year-old Elijah, come running, Daddy, and they give me a hug and they kiss me, and it makes me so happy. Used to be when they were younger, the little one, Elise, who's three, who's three now, she would, like, come following along just because she does whatever older sister and brother does, and she would say, Daddy, and she would give me a kiss, and then she would run back. These days, she doesn't do that because <laughs> she's got a mind of her own. So Manny and Elijah come running. They give me a kiss, and it makes me so glad, and then I'm waiting for Elise, and Elise is just sitting on the floor in the living room playing with her blocks or playing with something or playing with mommy or doing something. I say, Elise, Daddy's home. Nothing, just stone cold. She's just like back to me. Elise, Daddy's home. Come give me a kiss. Nothing, not even hi, Daddy, not even, oh, hey, just sits there. Like, dude, come on, what's going on? Elise, so I, I want to kiss. Like, I really want to kiss. Elise, Daddy has a present. All of it, she's like, huh? She, like, looks up, and then she runs to Daddy. She runs, Daddy, I missed you. Give me a kiss. And then she stares at me. I'm like, thank you, Elise. Says, do you have a present? I said, no, I was just kidding. Go back. And so she goes back, and she's upset. All three kissed me. All three said they loved me. But which one did I like the most? Hey, if any of you say they're all the same, you're absolutely mistaken, right? You're absolutely mistaken. No, they're not all the same. I want them to willingly kiss me and my furry beard. I want them to do that out of the joy, not reluctantly or under compulsion because daddy loves a cheerful kisser. You understand what this means. I wish that Elise would kiss me and love me out of her own free will, not because I tell her to do it. You understand what this is like, though, don't you? You know what it's like to have someone give joyfully versus when they give out of compulsion. There's a guy named Jay Dennis. He said there's three kinds of people who give. Okay? Um, I tried to think of a better analogy, but I couldn't. He said the first is like flint. Flint, right? like flint and steel, something you use to make fire. He said flint only gives you something if you hammer it, and only then it only gives you sparks and only gives you chips. Right? Some of us are like that. Like you have to be hammered in order to give. Others of us are like sponges. Right? They need to be squeezed in order for something to come out. And the more you squeeze and the harder you squeeze, the more comes out. And then there are others who are like honeycomb. Just overflows and oozes out and the sweetness of it blesses everybody upon whom what's inside spills onto. How do you give? Do you need to be hammered, and even then, there's sparks flying as you give, and, and only little bits and pieces come out? Are you like a sponge that really needs to be squeezed in order for something to come out? Or are you like an overflowing 
honeycomb. And people just love being around you, not because they get something from you, but because the pleasantness of who you are and the overflowing generosity causes you to thank God because of that person. What do you like? The Macedonian church, Paul is saying, they're like honeycomb. Nobody forced them to. There's just the sweetness of what they had received spilling out of them. Nobody needed to ask them. Nobody needed to tell them. They just said, man, I've got this life, this joy. I've got so much. Really? Everybody else looked at them and said extreme poverty, extreme trial, extreme uh, just people of need. But in their hearts, overflowing. What kind of a giver are you? So some of you might be saying, hey, you know what? God loves a cheerful giver. I don't give cheerfully, therefore I'm not going to give. Is that the answer? You know, it's, I don't know if you can imagine, uh, it's your birthday, you turn 18, 16, 12, 40, whatever your birthday is, and someone says, hey, you know what? For your birthday, I'm going to make you an amazing steak dinner steak dinner, I'm going to get the best meat and, and all this stuff. And, and so they cook you this steak dinner and you're so thankful for it. You eat it. Yeah, I've never had this kind of steak before and so good and all of the sides. And, and after you're done, you sit back, you push yourself away from the table and you're like, man, dude, thanks so much for that, for that steak. Like, this is the best dinner I've ever had in my life. And they, uh, he takes off his apron, he throws it on the table. He's like, you better be thankful. Man, you know how much that steak cost? I had to get that junk shipped all the way from Japan. Like, that junk was $200. Man, I, that's like three paychecks for me. You, holy cow. And I, I, I stayed up five nights in a row marinating this thing and aging it and putting all that stuff in there. And those potatoes, you know, I went, man, I, I feel like I went to Idaho to get those potatoes. And I chopped down the tree to get the sap, all this stuff. And you're like, man, I'm never going to do that again. Holy cow, I'm going to go and I'm going to sleep for the next five days. What are you thinking in your mind? Like, dude, if you're going to do it like that, then don't do it at all. And they say, okay, fine, I'm not going to do it. And you say, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, you, can, you can do it. I don't care your attitude. You can still make it for me. We might say that, but God doesn't say that because God doesn't need that steak dinner from you. That God doesn't need your billion dollars. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need anything from you. It says in Psalms, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What are we that we can give something to God and say, oh, God, congratulations. David gave you this huge sacrifice of, of $5 or $100 or $1,000. No, God doesn't need that stuff. He says he loves a cheerful giver. In fact, there are not many places where it says God actually loves something. But one thing it says that he does love is he loves a cheerful giver. In other words... I wonder if God would say, hey, if you're going to give with that attitude and it's not cheerful, joyful, hilarious generosity, then I don't need your stuff. Would that change the way we live? I think it would. Some of us would say, okay, fine, that I'm not going to serve you, God. I'm not going to give my talents. I'm not going to give my time. I'm not going to give my money. But is that what God wants? Let me ask you, does God want you to be stingy with what you have? No, he doesn't want that. So obviously that's not what he... Does he want you to give with a bad attitude? No, he doesn't want you to give with a bad... He wants you to give with a good attitude. That's what he wants. So then the goal is not just quit everything and stop giving, but it's to find out how can I give then with the right attitude. So here's the third thing that we see. Third thing that we see about generosity is that grace always comes before 
and always comes after hilarious generosity. Okay, get this, this is huge. Grace always comes before and after hilarious generosity. What does that mean? When I was in college, I lived uh, for, for three years, I lived near this McDonald's. And for whatever reason, McDonald's closed at 1 a.m. Uh, I remember on multiple occasions, we had this uh, brother named Brian. Um, he would come at like 1.30 in the morning to our apartment, and he would be banging on the door. Like, he's so excited about something. Like, dude, it's 1.30. He'd come banging on the door. He would open the door. He's like, hey, guys, hey, guys, anyone want a quarter pounder with cheese? Anyone want a Big Mac? He'd start throwing them around. He's like, hey, who wants a, he wants a McChicken? Who wants this? And we're like, dude, are you going to Oprah Winfrey on us? What's going on? It's like, I went to this McDonald's, and I always, okay, this is bad. He's like, I always, I always go at 12.58. They close at 1 o'clock, and I ask them. I order this meal, and then I say, hey, y'all got any food that you're about to throw away? and they pack up bags of Quarter Pounders and Big Macs and McChicken, and they give it to me, and so I bring it, and I give it away. I'm like, this cat is the most stingy person that I know, but all of a sudden, man, he's breaking in at 1.30 in the morning, and he's passing out. You get a Big Mac, and you get a Quarter Pounder, and you get a McChicken. I'm like, dude, what's gotten into you? And then I realized, ah, because all of this stuff he got for free. Because he got bags of sandwiches at McDonald's that he did not deserve. This is called grace. And because grace received always leads to grace extended. The way that we can be generous, we have to first understand that it's God's grace that is the fountainhead from which all things flow. Chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Chapter 9, verse 8. Uh, verse 8, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, not just in money, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Here's what he's saying. He's reminding us of what he said in the first thing. It's not just talking about money, generosity with your money, but he says you'll be made rich in every way. Can I tell you, whatever it is that you are generous with, if you're generous with your money, God will meet you with generosity so that you can be more generous with your money. If you're generous with your time, God will give back time to you doesn't mean you go, oh, my gosh, I, I'm the only one in the world with 26-hour days. No, it's not what he's saying. But you will be more productive with what you have. If you're generous with your talents, God will bless you with more talents. If you're generous with your car, God will bless you with more cars. I'm just kidding. But whatever it is that you're generous with, right, God has a way of responding to that generosity with grace. You understand I don't have any, everything that I have has been given to me by God's grace. So here's what it is. God blesses us with things we do not deserve. We have that. Everything I own comes from you, God. So I take a step of faith and I extend generosity to somebody else. What happens after that? God meets you with grace on the back end of that as well. Why? So verse 6, chapter 9, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart, 
to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then God is able to make all grace abound to you. God gives you the grace, right? You extend that generosity. And then as God meets you with grace on the back end, the question is, how now will I respond? In other words, grace always comes first and third and fifth and seventh and ninth and eleventh and on and on and on and on. Grace always has the last word. And the question is, how will we respond to the grace of God? He goes on in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Okay, so you've, if, if you're sowing, God's already given that to you. So God's given you the seed. He makes the bread, uh, he makes the bread, uh, makes the seed come up so the bread is produced. It says, he will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. Why? Verse 11, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. This is awesome. So, again, grace, I'm generous. God meets with me with more grace, right? More seed, more harvest, increased, enlarged. Why? So that you may be generous in every way. Whatever it is that you're generous with, the question is, do I believe that God is able to make all grace abound to me then? Because in the mathematics of our minds, if I've got $10, I give $10. I got nothing, but what the Bible is saying is you've got to reintroduce God into the equation. You bring God into the equation, he's able to cause all grace to abound. Why? Not so that you can sit on that $20 or, you know. I'm not saying, listen, you give money, God's going to make you rich. I'm not saying that. <laughs> it's not what we preach here. <clears throat> but I am saying that in your generosity, God will meet you with grace. Why? Here's the difference between health and wealth gospel and hilarious generosity. Health and wealth says you give a lot, <coughs> God will give you more in order that you might have your nice big house, you can have your health, you can have your wealth. But the Bible is saying, no, when grace meets you, you give generously, grace meets you again in order that you might become more generous. And as you do, God will fill you so that you can become even more generous to others. And then people look at that and they give thanks to God. Like, man, that's really cool. That's really crazy. They don't use what they have for themselves. They've got all the time in the world, but they're not going on vacation after vacation after vacation. They're filling their lives with ministry to the church. They're going on missions work. They're doing all of these things for the sake of other people. Why? And then God blesses, and God fills, and God fills us with joy as we give. You know, it's, it's so funny because... When I think of my friend Peter, whatever it is that he has, whatever it is that he doesn't have, you talk to him, he will always say, man, God is always blessing me with so much stuff. I have so much more than I deserve. And God is so good and God is so faithful, constantly pouring into my life. And a lot of times it's not this tit-for-tat kind of thing where you give money and then you get money in, in, in order to be generous, but in every way. Right? Sometimes it's, as you pour out to other people, right, your business gets blessed in order to be a greater blessing, or as you pour out to other people, 
then your ministry becomes so anointed and people are coming to know the Lord and, and discipleship and, and, and people are starting to get it. And in every way, God is able to do that so that you can be generous for him. And, in, and Peter is constantly being generous with others. I remember after he got that scholarship in the graduate business school and then he went off in the working world, he, God blessed him with a great job. Huge, you know, just doing really well for himself. And after a year or two of doing that, he said, um, I feel God is calling me. And this is something he always said to me is, you know, whatever you do, invest into eternity. Right? Two things that are eternal, the word of God and people. Right? Always invest in people. Always invest in people. One investment that will never return to you empty. Always invest in people. And so it's only fitting that after a year or two of working in the corporate world, you know, doing really well, he felt God calling him to go into teaching. I don't have a teaching degree, he said, but how am I going to do that? And, and so uh, he studied management information systems. And so he applied to teach uh, what at the time was this huge thing called Microsoft Certification Software Exam, uh, engineer, whatever it is, where um, you get certified in, in Microsoft and you can, you, you can make a lot of money. And so he knew all that stuff because that's what he had studied. And so there's one school in Fairfax County that was uh, open for a position. And so he applied for it and he got it. And he realized, man, it's going to be a massive pay cut for me. But they said, you're only going to be working teaching two periods. Okay, all you teach is two periods. And so then he began to realize, you know, for the time I'm putting in, the per hour pay or the per, you know, whatever pay is far more than I was making in this big, at the time, big six huge firm. And he realized, you know, this is God's way of blessing me. I have more time to do ministry, more time to invest in the people. But what he did in those two periods, man, he gave himself fully to these students. Underprivileged high school students, they would take his class, and he would believe in them, and he would give them dreams, and he would pray for them. Every day he would write an inspirational quote on the board, and sometimes he would write Bible verses. And he would be like a father to these students, many of them who didn't have a dad, who were broken, who were lost. And then they would ask him questions. Man, I got, I, I'm failing all of my other classes, but I'm about to get my Microsoft certification. I can, as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, I can get a job and be making $50,000, $60,000 right now without even finishing high school. So what do I do? And he's becoming a mentor and a guide to people like that. Because at the end of, <coughs> at the end of one school year, um, this high school uh, senior was, was graduating, and he said, you know, Mr. Hanna, it's going to be senior night for our football team, and what, uh, what we do is um, we pick one teacher who has made an impact in our lives, and that teacher can wear our football jersey out onto the field, and they walk us out as everyone recognizes us before we graduate and play our last game. He said, you have been uh, so, so impactful in my life. I wanted you to be the one <coughs> who would wear my football jersey on the field and walk me out. He's like, me? <laughs> Why me? He's like, because you, you, you set my life straight. I wouldn't be here. wouldn't even be in school if it wasn't for you. And if you ever wondered if giving up that high-paying job to go into a high school with a bunch of misfits was worth it on that day, man, it was all worth it. You never lose when you give generously to God. I was asking about this just yesterday. 
And he said, you know, yeah, recently one of my students died. He overdosed on um, energy drinks and some other stuff that he was doing. And um, his mom hunted me down. And she called me up and she said, I, I just wanted to, to tell you, my son always talked about that class. He just always talked about how impactful that class was in my life. Just two periods of teaching. These lives are changed. Because the result of hilarious generosity, we understand that everything has been given to us. Chapter 9, this beautiful verse. <clears throat> yeah. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's why we have anything in this life. Because Jesus gave his all so that we could have everything. All of these things with which we can be generous. Hilarious generosity. The fountain is grace. Grace meets us on the back end so that we can be generous, not so that people can applaud us, but so that as a result of our generosity, it would overflow in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. This is what it means. This is what he's calling us to. Let's pray. This morning, I want to ask you, what do you have in your hands right now? What's God given to you? Some of you, uh, you're not taking classes right now. You're not working. You've got a lot of time. God says, will you be generous with your time? Will you give yourself to me? Some of you, you have money. You don't think you have a lot. But God is pressing on your heart. You've got a whole lot more than you know. God has given you enough, not for your greed, but to cover others' needs. And what do you have in your hands? Maybe you've got a big old car and you've been reluctant to let people ride in it because you don't want them to spill any Coke on it or to spill ketchup on it. God's saying, hey, comes and it goes. You're going to have to get a new car sometime anyway. Use it for eternity. What have you got in your hands? You have so much more than you might think. I'm not going to ask you to give that to God, but can we give ourselves to God right now? But God, here I am. I want to be like the Macedonians who gave myself first to God and then to the people. I want to be like Jesus who gave himself to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. And I will build my life upon Jesus and upon your word. Not upon what this world says I need to have, but Lord, grace received, mercy received means grace extended, mercy extended with the promise that I never lose when I give to God. Let's pray for a couple moments, trusting that the generous God is able to make all grace abound 
to his generous children. Let's pray together for a couple of moments like that. Uh, children of God, if we are not generous with what we have, it's because we've cut the fountain of grace off from our hearts. Maybe we've thought about all that we're giving and giving and giving and giving and haven't dwelled deeply upon all that he has given and given and given and given to you. If our hearts feel challenged, and even if they don't, let's respond to God in repentance. Father, I have been stingy. I have been reluctant. I have given out of compulsion, and not joyfully, not cheerfully, not with a hilarious spirit. Father, have mercy on me, because at best, then people will see me and not you through that broken, broken fountain of ungenerous giving. Lord, have mercy on me. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see you. I want people to be drawn to you, not to me, because I'm not, in me is not the fountain of life that's in you. Lord, help me. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, purify me. Can we do that? Let's pray. Let's pray for a few moments. Uh, Not only that, but if there are other places of sin within our hearts before we come to the Lord's table, let's spend some time not only confessing, but repenting, turning away from those sins that we might follow and walk after the Lord's path. Let's pray prayers of confession and repentance right now. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your amazing and unchanging grace, irresistible and never ceasing, constantly wanting to grace your people so that we might become people of grace. The one thing that separates Christianity from every other kind of person is grace. We did nothing to deserve it, and therefore in receiving from you, we give to people who did nothing to deserve it. Grace received becomes a channel of grace. We don't become a cul-de-sac that keeps the grace to ourselves, but we know that we get it because we extend that to others, even and especially those who will never be able to repay us. So, Father, remind us that your great desire in making us generous is not to take from us, but in order that we as your children might reflect the hilarious generosity of our Father 
loved us and gave his one and only son that we might be yours. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of times we have this idea that God wants to take everything from us. In fact, we're going to sing a song that says, take all of me in just a few minutes. But the very nature of God is not to take in order that we might have nothing, but it's to take in order that we might be filled with more of Him and more of His grace. If God and the very nature of God was to be one who takes from us, then this table would be us laid out on it. But instead, He gave His one and only Son. Lord Jesus, the last night of His life, as He generously gave of Himself, Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, generously, fully, freely, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, joyfully given for you. The same way after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Generously, every drop poured out for you, not one or two, not holding back, but all that he is given for us. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, his sacrificial death, sacrificial generosity until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you show us again that you are so generous with us, not so that we might hoard all of these blessings to ourselves, but in order that we might give freely to others around us, that in them being blessed, they would not see us, but they would bless the blesser, the giver of all good things. As we come to this table, may your grace and generosity come alive within our hearts. Remind us of how beautiful the grace is, amazing the grace is that saved a wretch like us. May this become personal. May it be powerful. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray.